All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the great folks over at zephyr epic you can use promo code hockey season capital h capital s all one word i almost forgot how to spell hockey season all one word that will get you five dollars off your order at zephyrepic.com. free shipping canada wide on any order over fifty dollars and if you want to visit their retail location they've got one of those in surrey british columbia so be sure to go check them out but anywhere in canada you can get yourself some hockey cards some pokemon cards some Yu-Gi-Oh cards you played Yu-Gi-Oh we've had this conversation before I never played Yu-Gi-Oh I was always Pokemon but nobody ever played Pokemon correctly I'm convinced that nobody knows how to actually play the card game properly well I didn't even know how to play Yu-Gi-Oh but I just collected the cards because there was a nice branch manager over at BMO who who got me into it I remember this story yeah Harmondale it's good that you remembered how to the how to finish the promo code because I know I would not have been there to bail you out. That's okay. <laughs> I know nothing about the no, ad reads. I know you don't know the ad reads yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh the promo code is hockey season capital H capital S, all one word, and that will give you five dollars off your order. As I mentioned, my co-host is Harmon Dial, our technical producer. The man at the controls is Grady Sass. We're recapping a weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. And what a weekend it was. The Vancouver Canucks falling 4-3 to three to the Seattle Kraken, looking tired like they did in Thursday's loss against the Calgary Flames. Obviously, Harmon, we've already broken down the Thursday loss. Let's focus primarily on Saturday because it was basically more or less the same kind of performance that they had in Calgary. 
Yeah, but much less excusable for me because Seattle was in a similar boat. It was their third game in four nights. It was their fourth game of the week. So unlike the Calgary game where that you would look at it as a schedule loss, I looked at the Seattle game as two tired teams that are in the same boat essentially. And to me, the Canucks made more critical mistakes. It's interesting because the first period actually didn't mind how the Canucks look there. Uh, I figured that, yes, yes, the Kraken were sort of dominating in terms of zone time. But one thing that I noticed was that, at least in the first period, the Canucks were doing a good job of getting sticks in the right pockets in the slot so that, you know, the Kraken had a lot of zone time, but they were just sort of mostly on the perimeter. They weren't generating true grade A chances. And what would happen is the Canucks were actually generating a lot off the rush on the counterattack, yep. lots of chances. So even though the zone time was sort of lopsided, it felt like at least on quality chances, I was thinking, okay, considering the Canucks are limiting Seattle to the outside and considering Seattle doesn't have grade A finishers, the type of star talent that uh, the Canucks do, plus the Canucks have this clear goaltending advantage with Demko over Grubauer, that's actually the type of way you can beat Seattle. Yep. But then, just as I was thinking that, it's funny, two minutes later, they had the type of breakdown that they did not have in the first period where they had that awful line change and Alexiak walks right down Main Street and buries one. That's the type of chance that I don't think they allowed too many of in the first period. And so that's where, okay, if you're going to play this tired Ben don't break style, that's fine. You just can't make those disastrous mistakes like the one that led to the opening Alexiak goal. And I believe on that line change, there was at least one, I think it was the Alexiak goal, where it was Pedersen and Mikheyev, two guys who usually don't make any type of mistake, but Talkett was very, very displeased with his team's line changes, their shift lengths post-game. Those were the two things he really focused on. And then he got more into it on Sunday's practice. We'll get to all of this, but let's hear what he had to say post-game, Grady. It's this first clip, talk post-game. Um, this was the maddest I've ever seen him. I know he was very mad in Philadelphia. You and I talked about that, but... I wasn't in Philadelphia. This was the maddest I have ever seen Rick Tockett. A big message from talking to guys in the room is they felt tonight was an opportunity missed going to the third period of tie game. Did you see that as well? Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why we're, we lost that game tonight. What stands out to you in terms of? Our changes were awful. Long shifts. You can't, you can't, that's 500 hockey. You can't win that way. You know, um, it wasn't good enough for like, uh, you know, if, if we're going to really have the staples as our Bible, um, it wasn't good. This awful changes and long shifts, and that's what happens. You know, uh, both teams played, you know, there's no excuses. They played as many games as us in those days. They were a little bit hungrier on pucks. Basically, that's really the game. Do you remember when we used to celebrate 500 hockey? <laughs> Like he goes, that's 500 hockey. And he wasn't saying it in a positive way, folks. He was saying that's 500 hockey. Do you remember? Like, it'd be like mid-November or mid-March. The Canucks are back at 500. Just like that, folks. They've rattled off seven straight wins, and the Canucks are back at 500. Yuho Lamico is rolling. The Canucks are back at 500. Sure, they have a horrible spot in the draft lottery now, but they are only six points out of the second wildcard spot with less than a month to go in the season. The Canucks are rolling. They could carry this on into next. Do you remember we used to celebrate this? Like, it was, it was exciting that the Canucks were at 500. Now, the head coach is saying that's 500 hockey, and he's saying it in a sense of, we can't be a 500 hockey team. We don't want to be that. Well, you can't because that was a depressing era. 
I mean, 500 hockey is the worst because you're not bad enough to be getting a top three or even top five pick. And yet it's not even close to the playoff <laughs> because 500 in today's NHL, it's it, it's related to points percentage, not wins percentage, yep. right? And yep. so that's an 82 point pace. Who wants to finish with 82 <laughs> points? That's the like... Vancouver Canucks for the past like nine oh, seasons. Man. Yeah, I'm glad that we're at that point where it's looked at in such a negative light. And look, I appreciate how consistently candid talk it has been with this group. It's been refreshingly honest. And I think that's one of the reasons why, to this point, this group has been able to stay honest with themselves in terms of their performance, regardless of whether they've won or lost, is because Talkett's held them to that type of really high standard. Talkett spoke more on Sunday about what he wants to see from them tonight in San Jose. We'll get to that more in our second segment, but I I asked a question to Ian Cole, and basically what I said was, look, Ian, you've been on winning teams, teams that make the playoffs every year. We know about Ian Cole's personal playoff streak, obviously, but I asked him, what goes into playing while you're tired? Because everybody gets tired. So what goes into winning and actually playing well when you're tired? Because we can all agree with the travel this team's had, everything this team's had with their schedule. Obviously, we've uh, we've kind of recounted how they've gone on the East Coast road trips early in the season and how, yes, this is a tired group right now. I asked Ian Cole what kind of goes into playing while you're tired. Let's get to that clip here, Grady. Um, Ian Cole on the staples, as Taka would call them. You know, fatigue should never be a factor. Yes, there's a lot of hockey games. Yes, time zones, travel, all that. But, you know, this is the NHL. There's there's no excuses like, oh, I was tired. you got to figure it out. I think it's probably different for every team. I mean, I don't think there's one set blueprint. But essentially, I would say, uh, maybe generically speaking, would be, you know, hey, let's let's play simple. Let's play a patient game. Let's not try to hit a home run every time we touch the puck. You know, let's make the plays when they're there. Let's give that little bit of extra effort to make sure we can get the puck in deep to get off the ice and, and try to stay fresh, keep shifts short, don't extend. Um, you know, those are all cliche things to say, but I think they're all uh, appropriate when you're trying to play that game and, 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 and not give teams, you know, easy goals and easy, easy, uh, easy opportunities. So couple things here first thing i should have mentioned patrick johnson asked the first question and then i pushed his answers together of my the second question that i asked was about how do you play when you're tired and that was where he had the blueprint quote first question was from patrick johnson i know he's going to call me about that if i didn't say it so i wanted to make sure i got that out there patrick johnson had the first question but on the second question short shifts getting the puck in deep yes they're cliches but Harmon, there was at least one maybe two where the canucks turn over the puck at the Seattle blue line. And then the forwards are just too gassed to get back. And then Seattle's all of a sudden moving up with a rush chance. We saw it on the Alexiak goal. That can't happen. Like that, just, that can't happen in the NHL. If you're an NHL team, you cannot be giving up goals that way. You need to get back to those things that we've seen them do well, which is, you know, being first on pucks. Like how many, how many puck battles has this team won over the past six games? It, it pales in comparison to what they were doing to start the season and to me that just comes down to effort like that's not really uh you know oh they you know we talk about pdo all that regression like that's just effort like that's just effort that you need to have on a nightly basis and i understand fatigue and you're tired but it's like ian cole said fatigue shouldn't be a factor in the nhl it just shouldn't well not this early in the year no and it was funny how many times cole was referencing 
keeping shorter shifts. How, how many times did we see the shift clock on the broadcast and it's almost a minute 30 and, and it's really creeping up there? Those are also the types of shifts that later in the game you really start to feel. It's not just you're hemmed and you're against the ropes for that specific sequence and you might allow chances there, but the impact of that really accumulates over time. I know this is a sort of different um, reference, but I remember in... Um, in soccer, when when we'd play academy level, our coach would say, just wear them down consistently, have them defending the whole game. And then in the final third of the game, that's when the accumulation of all those, all that heavy, hard defending is, is going to catch up. And that's where you sort of are able to win. And that's sort of what happened where the Canucks were able to, again, sort of sustain that or, or not entirely break under that pressure in the first period. But as a game went along, they made more of the types of mental mistakes that occur when you get trapped for too long. And, and so absolutely, they, they need to fix that. And you, you referenced sort of regression there. The only thing that I found interesting from that angle was Canucks were probably less fortunate than they have been in previous games in terms of not being able to capitalize on some of their rush looks. Man, they generated a lot off the counterattack. Again, Seattle blocked shots well. Uh, they were able to sort of get into some of the lanes, but still, I really liked a lot of the looks the Canucks got in those opportunities, and that's where we were referencing sort of PDO. I found it interesting that Mike Kelly, uh, NHL network analyst who has access to a lot of sport logic data, when this topic of the Canucks are on this sort of bender what's real, what might sort of come back down to earth. The specific area that he referenced was rush offense. He cited that the Canucks had converted on 26% of their rush scoring chances, whereas league average is closer to 11%. Mm-hmm. So I think that game earlier in the year is probably one that the Canucks, because of good luck, you know, maybe found a way to at least, if not win, at least be, at least be competitive in because they might have buried – uh, one or two of those opportunities. And, and that's what happens when sort of things come back down to earth is you've got less less of a a margin to, to work with. Your mistakes sort of get amplified. And that's something to sort of keep in mind as we move forward because it's not just the Seattle game. I'm looking at the last half dozen games. How many of them, regardless of the result, right? So don't pay too much attention to whether they won or lost. I think their record in, in that time is uh, three and three. But how many of those performances out of the six did you actually like? Starting with Ottawa. So you got the Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Islanders, Flames, Seattle. I think you liked the Toronto one, although I would have liked to see them convert on more power plays. They were two for six in that game against the Leafs. Um, In Montreal, excuse me, I thought they were, I thought they were all right. I don't know if I, like... If you ask me this question about their first stretch of games to start the year, there's very few, with the exception of maybe Philadelphia, that I say, yeah, I didn't really like that. Like, yeah, we were talking negatives about their second game in Edmonton, even though they won the game. We were talking about, and when I say we, I mean us in the media and also Rick Tockett. Like, Tockett was yelling at them about earning ice time in the practice directly after that Edmonton game in the morning skate. He was yelling at them about earning ice time. Like that was after two wins. They were two and oh, and the head coach was displeased with their performance. So with that context added, I think it's maybe like one or two 
on this stretch. I, I love the Bo Horvat game. Don't get me wrong because look that, that story I talked about, it, I'm not going to dive into it more. I like that personally. I just, I don't know. Like, did you like the way they played in that game? I don't know. Like, I, I think the pushback, you have to give them credit for. So yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with, I like their performance in Toronto, even though they lost. I like their performance against the Islanders. And I thought they were decent in Montreal, but again, it's Montreal. Like, I don't know. Yeah, so I, I like their Montreal game, even though, again, it's Canadian, so you should be beating up on a team like that. Didn't like their Ottawa game, even though they won, yeah. because they only generated 16 shots, I think it was. Toronto, people might be wondering. I thought it was an okay performance. I don't think they played as poorly as the scoreline suggested. I think they limited the Leafs to, like, four shots in the first period. Yep. And, again, if they convert on, on the five-on-three chance they had in the second period, I think that would have been the game right there, uh, and the Canucks would have won. Islanders' performance was solid uh, pushback, even though they relied on three power play goals to get them back into that contact, contest. And then, of course, you don't like the the Calgary one. You don't like the Seattle one. Um, and, of course, even the Ottawa p- performance, like those three games I just mentioned there are against non-playoff teams, at least as the standings are today. So the team's form has been a little bit wobbly, even outside of, oh, well, they're not getting the bounces anymore. It was sky high to start the season, and we knew it wasn't going to stay that high, but Thatcher Demko's high danger save percentage. We saw it was miles ahead of the next guy up, who I think was Jeremy Swayman in Boston. One thing I think needs to be talked about is, yes, we've seen that number come down, but I don't necessarily think Thatcher Demko's playing worse. I think the the nature of the chances in front of him are changing. And they're starting to resemble a lot more of what we saw last year. And Talkett referred to the guts of the ice. And he pointed out that he didn't like how much post-to-post play there was for Thatcher Demko. And that was something I noticed in the game as well, was Thatcher Demko was having to move east-west a lot more than he normally has been this season. Because that's the thing. And, you know, it's not to, this isn't an anti-analytics argument or anything. It's just that when you look at high danger chances, a lot of times it's kind of going off of, unless you're using the, clear sight analytics which only is available if you talk to kevin woodley um what what happens with high danger chances it it looks at where the shot was taken from it doesn't necessarily take into account as much as it should i think where okay this was on a cross cross seam play and that sort of thing so when you're limiting that cross ice movement which the canucks were pretty well to start the season you're still going to get shots in tight, but Thatcher Demko is going to save those nine times out of 10. As we saw, I think it was 971% of the time or whatever it was, um, 97% of the time, Thatcher Demko is making that save. Like that was what we saw legitimately to start the season. 97% of the time, Thatcher Demko is making the high danger saves if he has a chance to get set for them, regardless of where they're coming at um, from in front of him on the ice. But when you add in that cross crease play, when you add in compounding mistakes, which is what this team did so well at limiting to start the year, that number is going to come down. And I haven't seen too much of it. So this isn't a shot at anyone or anything. It's just, I don't think Thatcher Demko is to blame at all with this stretch, even though his save percentage is coming down a little bit, you know, he's starting, the numbers are starting to come back down to earth. I don't think that's reflective of Thatcher Demko changing what he's doing at all. Absolutely agree. I mean, Seattle's third goal, which turned out to, um, I was going to say came winner, but the Canucks got a third one late. Thanks to Hoaglander. 
that's a perfect example of the type of chance that they were not allowing her early in the year where Hronik was just a split second late. I think he, him and Hughes got crossed up in the defensive zone there, didn't pick up the guy right in front. And that's a really difficult stop to make. Even in the Islanders game, that was, although they won, especially in that first period, they were starting to allow a lot more of those cross-seam um, plays. And I believe one of the Islanders' power play goals was off a similar type of pass that they needed to sort of deny. And again, that's what I was really crediting the Canucks for limiting early in the year. So absolutely, I think that's an area where it's not overly alarming yet, but it's a trend that needs to tighten back up because certainly I think they they have the upgraded defensive personnel to, I think, execute it well. I mean, watching, again, the first period against Seattle was like, Okay, they're doing exactly that where, where they're limiting those types of crossing plays. And that's where, again, I was going, okay, they're getting dominant in terms of zone time, but they're not allowing that type of chance. Yeah. And that changed in the final two periods. I'm curious, and I have talked to Woodley, like I said, about it, but I, I'm curious what the expected goals, because I know Thatcher was obviously miles ahead before actually let's get Woodley on this week that might be a good idea to talk to him about it because he kind of has that access to you know help us understand more what the chances that the goaltenders are facing actually mean right and I I'm just guessing I haven't looked at the numbers I would assume that the danger of the high danger chances that Thatcher Demko is facing right now are significantly higher than they were to start the year I know it for sure um okay you wanted to talk about Hughes and Heronic, that pairing. But before we do that, I have to talk about Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor because I'm back. I'm back this week. Elias Pettersson over 0.5 points tonight. That's my lock. That's my pick. Um, I just, I just want to win some. I just want to win some points in the Wendy's app, and you can do the same because Wendy's is letting you win real food with the Daily Faceoff Survivor Fantasy Pool game. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points on your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouth-watering jaws of defeat along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Put your sp- prediction skills to the test and score yourself 1,300 bonus points if you win the week. Use your points to grab your favorite menu items at Wendy's. Sign up to play Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Fantasy to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. I will keep you all posted on my week this week, but my pick today, you go over Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Fantasy. Uh, you'll see it there. You sign up. It's super easy. You sign up. You pick your prop. Today, my prop, Elias Pedersen. Over, he'll get one point, at least one point tonight. That's my Wendy's pick of the day. Okay, uh, back to the first pairing, the Canucks' first pairing, Hughes and Heronic. You and I were talking about this briefly before the show started. You want to talk about them. Yeah, so there's been a a lot of attention, of course, on the blue line, understandably, because it's looked really shaky since Carson Soucy went down. Now, I understand the concern within the bottom four, and that absolutely is still an area of, um, with question marks moving forward. But I think the part that needs to be highlighted a little bit more is that the top pair, which was so dominant, so electric in the beginning of the year, has recently started to to sputter a little bit. It feels like they're, the workload in terms of how much of a burden they're carrying for this blue line is starting to catch up because I'm looking at it right here. Quinn Hughes in the last five games is a proxy for the top pair. 
High danger chances are 26 to 13 in favor of the opposition. And the Canucks have been outscored seven to four at five on five. We're just not used to a stretch like that from Quinn Hughes. He's been a plus offensively and we're seeing some of that magic again, another moment in that Seattle game, but they're being hemmed in their own zone for a lot of shifts. They're having more difficulty than usual, breaking the puck out. And I don't know. It just, it feels like he's had some giveaways that have led to some goals against. I mean, I believe when you was... say he's, do you just mean Quinn Hughes? Not Quinn, not just Quinn. Horonic's been part of it or pairing. whoever he's been. Yeah. And I think I'm just using Hughes as a proxy of like when he's on the ice, that's Canucks top pairs on the ice. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, in that Seattle game, Philip Horonic plays a career high 2903 of ice time. That's higher than Quinn Hughes. That was the highest of any Canuck in that game. That's the highest Toronto's ever played in his career. With that pairing, I almost wonder if the teams are playing them harder on the forecheck, if they're playing them differently on the forecheck, because look, like Frank Corrado, uh, we saw him with the breakdowns on Twitter of look how good the pairing is at switching and switching off. And that's almost like a counter to zone defense. I know that's more about the offensive zone, but you're going to make those adjustments in the offensive zone. And you're also going to make them when you're pressuring on the breakout, because that's something they've done so well is break the puck out. Teams are going to adjust to that. I wonder if they're getting scouted differently, um, played harder, played differently. I, I want to say it's a, it's a culmination of, the workload is super high on these guys. They're carrying a blue line right now. They are absolutely carrying that blue line. The workload, the team's changing what they're doing against them. I think it's all just kind of adding up. And what you're seeing is what you are breaking down right now with they're giving up a lot of chances. Yeah, and the point isn't, let me be very clear. Hughes has arguably been the best player in the NHL overall, not just among defensemen. The point isn't to point the finger at him exactly but it's just a reflection that considering how top heavy this blue line is when you especially when you compound it with Susie's injury when you remove the safety net of this top pair has been arguably the best in the NHL and now it's slipping and now they're losing their matchups the last handful of games in large part because of how heavy a workload they're carrying that puts an even extra sort of um, burden or pressure yeah. pressure on on the bottom four, which isn't going to be able to win their matchups. Yeah, like, it's funny because we're bringing this up. The answer isn't, oh, you just play the next guys more. Like, we know that's not the answer. Yeah. It would be great if that were the answer, if the answer was just, okay, well, let those guys have a night off. They can't have a night off. Like, they can't have a night right now where they're playing under 23 minutes. Those days... Maybe, maybe against San Jose, maybe against San Jose, because I think that was the last time I'd have to go look at it. But I remember in that game, they were able to kind of limit Hughes and Hironik's ice time together. I wonder what happens tonight. Um, I, is there anything else that you want to say about the pairing and their struggles? Like, what, like, like in your mind, what's led to it? Is it just what I said with just workload, how they're getting scouted? Because you brought up that they're one of the top pairings in the league. They're not going to benefit from word getting around that they're one of the best pairings in the league. And I think to this point in the season, word probably has gotten around. And maybe in years past, you're looking at how you shut down Quinn Hughes if you're an opposing team and you're trying to work on that. But 
when you have a top pair, I just wonder how much the game planning changes for opposing teams where they look at, okay, these two like to do this, they like to do this. Let's see how we can change that on our four check. And I just like, I think they have less time and space than they have earlier in the season. Yeah. I think that's also a factor. I also think the forwards need to help them out a little bit more on these breakouts because again, the when Hughes is getting the puck behind the net, it feels like, as you alluded to, there's just less time and space to make a maneuver. It uh, feels like he has less exit options. And this is where it helps to have your wingers, your centermen coming deep. He shares, that top pair shares the ice a lot with, uh, with the JT Miller line. The Miller line is a monster when the blue line is able to exit quickly get to the red line, dump it in, and then it feels like Di Giuseppe, Miller, and then Best are sort of hanging around the slot. They can really get pucks back in those situations. But I think the area where that line maybe doesn't excel as much in is helping out on breakouts itself because they don't have um, a speedy transition forward, right? Miller comes in deep and he can make those outlet passes. I've liked a lot of those at points in the season. But he's not the type of guy that's going to come deep, wheel around, and skate it out himself. And that's certainly not going to be Brock Besser. It's not going to be Phil Giuseppe. So, yeah, I'm not sure if there's something the coaching staff can do to shift things up strategically. But they're having to spend way too much time defending. And when you're already logging heavy minutes, uh, that just... It, it makes it really difficult to be at your best all the time. It also makes it a lot easier to compound mistakes, right? Like we've talked about that numerous times this year and how the team's been good at avoiding that. We've seen that pairing have their mistakes compounded because they just, it's just, it's just what's happening right now. Like it's tough. But also we, we're having this discussion about the blue line and what a big difference it makes to lose Susie. Yeah. And that's fair, but it's also worth pointing out good teams are able to overcome injuries like this. Yep, absolutely. And the New York Rangers have not stopped rolling. They are one of the hottest teams in the NHL. They've been missing Adam Fox last handful of games. They've had Eric Gustafson, a guy who from the bottom pair has been able to elevate and give them steady minutes, and they haven't skipped a beat. Vegas in the early portion of the year, when they went unbeaten for so long, a stretch of those games, they were without Martinez for a while. They mm-hmm. were without Petrangelo. They were without like three of their regular top 60 for some of those games. Uh, you look at Ottawa, they've had stretches where Shabbat hasn't played, where Brandstrom hasn't played. And they're, you know, closer to the, closer to the Canucks' range where they've been scuffling uh, a little bit. But look, this is what happens. And teams that have lost better defensemen have been able to, I mean, look at Florida. Yep. They, they don't even have that good of a blue line. And they've managed without Montour and Ekblad. They've managed well. Oliver Ekman Larson has five been playing goals. five five pair. on five goals on the season. He's been playing top pair minutes on the right side, and that's not just oh look at OEL bouncing back. Yes, he has bounced back, but good teams have the type of sort of help around them in terms of the forwards as two way assistants, the overall speed that you play with as a five band unit, the overall structure that you can overcome that and so this is something that Canucks have to overcome this can't just be something that you you look at and go well what can you do they lost suit they they lost Susie and their only solution is to go out and trade for somebody because look it's not easy to just in mid-November go out and trade for a guy this is something that you have to work out internally paging Ethan Bear 
hopefully Ethan Bear heals up. He's been on the ice. We've seen that. He's on the ice. Hopefully he heals up soon. Uh, and the Canucks are able to go out and get get them some Ethan Bear because your season can't just go to the gutter because you lost Carson Soucy. Like it can't. You can't. You can't have the start that they did. Every Canucks fan on the internet is talking their crap, and then they lose Carson Soucy and the season's over. Like let's not forget this team started the season without Carson Soucy. Yeah, that's a good like, point. They started <laughs> the year without Carson Soucy on a heater. Look, hey. They are just tired. They are just tired. That that is that yeah. is the explanation yeah. that we're going to keep going with. But now the conversation shifts to, okay, well everybody's tired, and everybody's tired in the playoffs. What are you going to do then? You're going to come out and and to their credit, no player has used the tiredness as an excuse. In fact, they've all said the opposite. That whatever, if we're tired, doesn't matter. It can't be an excuse. To their credit, that that is that is not coming from the players. That oh, we're tired. That the players aren't using that as an excuse. So I shouldn't have even said that. But Still, we're it's also, just, they were without Susie. Come on. And we're also, as, as much as we have been highlighting the concerns, they're 12, 5, and 1. Exactly. They have a plus 30 goal differential. Yes, we're going to focus on more of these recent trends because that's what, ha- that's what happens. We can't continue to talk about wins when they haven't been winning a lot recently. But it's also okay for them to go through a stretch like this. Sure. It's, we're not saying the sky is falling down. It's Absolutely. Definitely not. 12, 5, and 1. Plus 30 goal differential still. I mean, if you told any Canucks fan that this is going to be their record uh, with the majority of our way through yeah. November, <laughs> I mean, you take that in a heartbeat. Still the best start in franchise history. Should also point that out. Like it's still, is it the, still, even it after still you count. is. Yep. There you go. Yep. So uh, maybe after Seattle, it's not. Maybe after I have to, I have to fact check it. I know at 12, four and one, which is what they were before Seattle. Best start in franchise history still. Yeah. Uh, after that many games, 17 games. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. They have a game tonight. A chance to reset. A chance to get back on track. And that means it's time for our Light the Lamp contest brought to you by our friends at Four Winds Brewing out in Delta. Vancouver is playing San Jose tonight, and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at 72nd and River Road 
in Delta. Enter by following us on social media. Keep an eye out for today's show clip and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about the four wins light light lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, game preview. Sky isn't falling yet. Sky is falling if they lose tonight. Fair? Sky isn't falling, but people will be freaking out. Yeah. Because the sky is falling. <laughs> well, no, because... Parts of the sky are falling. It's like the start of Chicken Little. Well, here's the thing. We spoke during the first week of doing the show together that, hey, they're going to run, run into a skid at some point. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So in the big picture, it's easy to sort of say that, look, a team will sort of... At some point, they're going to start scuffling. You're not just going to finish a year with like 70 wins. And every team sort of goes through through it. I mean, Vegas recently has been going through a lull as uh, as well. But I mean, yeah, you lose three straight, especially because it's against San Jose, and you got Colorado up next. Because this market is so used to good things not happening mm-hmm. <laughs> to the Canucks, mm-hmm. people are are naturally going to sort of assume the worst. And this team hasn't done enough yet to prove definitively that they deserve the benefit of the doubt but sky won't sky won't be falling but it'll feel like that based off the discourse the best start in franchise history at least in my friend circles and people who i would call casual canucks fans you know the fans who really tuned in when the bubble was happening i don't know if that was a combination of there not being many sports on or blah 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 um when the bubble was happening, you saw all those fans come out of the woodwork and you really saw this market start to get its passion back. The car flags came out. I think that's a good indicator of when this market is buying in. Like the regular season during 2011, there were car flags. You usually don't see those till the playoffs. There were car flags all season long in Vancouver. You're not seeing those yet. You're not seeing the car flags. You're not seeing the casual fans completely buy in. Like I've talked to a few people who said, yeah, I haven't watched this team in years. I've tuned in every once in a while. I've watched some highlights, but they're not winning and they're not really worth my time. Like I'm not going to watch games start to finish if I know it's not going to end in a playoff berth. And sure, call them fair weather, call them whatever you want. There's still people that are going to buy tickets when the team is doing well and when they have a good product. I don't think they've won those fans back just yet. Like I, I, yeah. I don't think they have. And let's not forget, this is the Vancouver Canucks we're talking about. This is an organization that was a powerhouse, a powerhouse in this city season tickets you want to leave season ticket you want to leave your season tickets no problem we've got a wait list of 400 people who want to get season tickets out of 2011 this is that i'm talking about that era right they want to get back there you have to win consistently like this team was on that absolute heater to start the year and those fans still weren't back so the point i'm trying to make is that a loss to san jose obviously isn't going to help bring those people back and for that reason, I look at it and say, yeah, that, that is a really bad thing. If you lose to the San Jose Sharks tonight, look, circumstances, we'll see what it, what ends up happening. They're, they're, they're heavy favorites in this game, and rightfully so. San Jose's won three of their last six games, as have the Canucks, so they can't take them lightly. You have to respond if you're the Canucks, just with the context of everything that's going on. This is a reset game for the Vancouver Canucks tonight, and they have to be treating it like a chance to not only reset, but get back to what made them successful against good teams and really 
push down on the Sharks. Like it can't be a, yeah, we beat the Sharks two to one in overtime and we're stoked about that. Like we're still going to come here tomorrow and have criticisms if that's what happens tonight. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about the worst case scenario for this team, but you have to win this game tonight if you're the Canucks. Yeah, and you've got them again on uh, on the weekend. You've got Seattle on Friday night as well. Colorado's a difficult game in between. So this is a week you want to pick up at the bare minimum two wins. Bare yep. minimum you need two wins. And Anything less than that will be a major disappointment. I also wanted to mention before we continue this here, I also wanted to mention uh, for our listeners that maybe aren't on Twitter, when Quinn Hughes scored his seventh goal of the season, the new setup in the press box, Chris Faber, sits on the opposite side of the press box like he's with the team side and he's with the the suits the corp well we're all wearing suits but anyways he's on the team side so we don't sit near each other anymore um but as soon as Quinn Hughes scored I looked over and I looked at him and it took less than a second for him to look back at me and just he like just goes I don't I can't say what he said but I he mouthed the F word. And I just, I got a huge kick out of that because listeners of this show will know uh, we have our bet on the season <laughs> that Quinn Hughes will score 20 goals. Faber took the under, I took the over back in preseason. Um, so, that was a good bet for you to take. You. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. I would and not Faber have... was Faber was like maybe double digits. I was like, are you kidding me? And I, I was, I was so, I was so sure of it. It was just, dude, I predicted Brock 30 goals before like, I predicted that in August Brock 30 goals, Hughes 20, I'm just saying. Like, okay. I, so far, my predictions have been good. And and don't start. I know what you're about to say. You're what? about to say that I just throw everything at the wall. Thank no. you. Thank you, Grady. It's not a case of me just throwing at the wall and hoping something sticks. It's not like I made 20 predictions and these three are right. I've made like three predictions. Maybe some listeners got to fact check me on that. But I think I've made every prediction I've made, I think is, you know, off to a hot start here. I wasn't about to say that. Oh, good. You Sorry, I'm a little self-conscious about that. <laughs> things at the wall. Uh, way to arm people that hate you with uh, potential uh, counterpoints, though. Uh, I was going to say, though, Hughes, before the season, Colin Hughes' score 20 is a lot more impressive than Brock for 30. Because Brock, the case for him getting a 30 is as simple as him. Can he stay healthy? And with Bo gone, he's going to play power play one, which is going to juice his production. I was basing it off of an off season of not playing in that stupid beer league. Like that's it. I mean, yeah, of course that's that more helps. of the vibes take. I was taking it as this is a guy who said at the end of the year he wanted to be back in Vancouver, had a good workout plan, talk it at the end of his end of year media veil, talked about this could be a huge offseason for Brock. I think he's gonna come back looking a lot better next year. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I was taking all that in consideration, but you just made some good points as well. Yeah, so mine was more on vibes. <laughs> well, it's it's clearly working. I mean, <laughs> Uh, you're going to win that Quinn 20 plus one, I think. Yeah. And we didn't make a bet on Brock. That was just the prediction I threw out there. And the Canucks army commenters give you two of these. Um, <laughs> they were, they were like, Oh dude, you're throwing positive. That's where the positive, they were like, Oh, you're throwing every positive take at the wall and hoping it sticks. Like, nope. Nope. This is not just me trying to hit August content quotas. It was just, it was a vibe. It was a vibe. One thing I want to say that bothered me from that uh, game against Seattle, by the way, was, and keep in mind the context, okay? I've I've been harsh with my criticism of Myers this year at oh, times. Oh, here we go. Last year at times. But how quickly people turned on him after oh he had that turnover that led to the 4-2 goal. Stop, guys. Stop. He hasn't been the problem on absolutely the blue line. I did, I've the- never had a co-host who agrees with me on this. 
the last handful of games, his underlying numbers are strong. You look at him just like watching the games. It's the first big mistake he's made in a long time. Yep. And look, I, I will say this. It is pretty funny that whenever he does make a mistake, he's somehow falling. <laughs> There's just something about like, look, he's a big dude. It is. It's, it's classic comedy, folks. It's classic comedy. When a big guy falls, it's funny. It's funny. But when it's a mistake, yes, it's going to get a bigger spotlight on it because he's so big. Because when he makes the mistake, he then falls over and then everybody's laugh. That's that's not good. Not it's, a good situation. Well, it's like there's that one, the Tampa one on the PK where he flubbed the clearing attempt right up the middle. And then when he was trying to recover, he fell down, which was a problem because Paul scored on like the third on his like third rebound on goal, whereas Myers could have easily checked him. He yep. just stayed on his feet. Uh, or the other mistake in that Tampa game where he bowled over Elias Pedersen to come out of the play. Yeah. And uh, Tampa had such a strong numerical advantage there. So I will say that's pretty unfortunate. But big picture, the Canucks have been carrying play and winning their matchups. That was the first big blunder. And I'll say this, this Canucks blue line would be in trouble if Myers went down. Absolutely. An indictment on the construction of the blue line. One of our best players, Rick Tockett, like a week ago. And then that was a little too far. (laughs) One of our best players that came out of his mouth, not mine. And then doubles out. I didn't say best. This time he said better. Maybe he listened to the Maybe I should use the word better because this past week said he's been one of our better defensemen. Yeah. I mean, look, he's never going to live up to the contract. We know that $6 million at this point, that's a sunk cost, but it's about what value is he providing? Uh, independent of that contract, which we know is going to expire and come off the books this season. And to me, for the most part, he's responded well since that opening road trip. I wonder. I wonder if they're going to extend him. Okay, that's a you're bridge JP that might Barry, be too far. You're J.P. Barry. You're Pat Brisson, And you call Patrick Alvin. Patrick Alvin excitedly answers the phone thinking he's getting a call about Elias Pedersen. Yeah, we're ready to take your eight-year contract at $12 million. (laughs) There's a caveat. You have to extend Tyler Myers, and we want him at a two-year deal at $3 million. That'd be malpractice as an agent. Sure. If you get the call, though, in this crazy scenario, do you take it? You lock up Petey at 8 by 12 or Yeah, 8 by 12 8 by 12 for Pedersen, but you also have to sign Tyler Myers to a two-year contract extension at $3 million. You don't take that? Are you kidding? He's, Myers is old. You He's take, only going to get worse. You take that in a heartbeat. He's a third-pair defenseman. I'm not paying a third-pair defenseman $3 million. To get Elias Pettersson locked. Think about what I'm Wait, asking you. you. Still... Think about what I'm asking you, Harmon. You are getting PD at 8 times 12. Oh, eight. Okay. $12 million for the next eight years, and you have to take two more years of Myers at $3 million, half of what he's making right now. And you're going to hang up the phone? I'm not going to hang up the phone. I'm wow, if you were in charge, he's gone. Elias Patterson okay. would have gotten traded mal- if Harmon's the chip. <laughs> that's malpractice as an agent. You would never tie your star client to a third-pair defenseman. Three million, <laughs> three million times two would be a bad contract for Tyler Myers. But 12 by 8 would be a fantastic contract. Yeah, and I'm for still Patterson. confident that I could work out a negotiation <laughs> A successful contract with Pedersen. You're using your head too much. The scenario doesn't work with you. Jim Benning isn't the GM. (laughs) Okay. Where where are we in the show? Sorry. Okay. Fun show here on a Monday, folks. Um, Okay. 
sorry, back to the game preview tonight with San Jose in town at Sunday's practice. Rick Tockett spoke more. And hey, this is our third Chris Faber mention on the show. We got the clip here, Grady. This is a question from Chris about what he'd like to see them do better in this game um, compared to what they've been doing as of late. What's the biggest thing you're looking to get this team back to on Monday when we get a chance to kind of nip this two-game losing streak in the butt? I would say changes and then turnovers. Like I, I think there's certain parts of a game when you really need that puck in deep or to make the right play. Um, you know, it's one nothing. You know, like let's unless it's a like I always tell guys if it's a high risk play, if you make that high risk play, to me it's got to be an empty net or a tap in. It can't be high risk play to a guy now that he still has to go through another Seattle guy. Like that's to me is when I get. You know, I think our staff gets upset. It's like, yeah, it's okay to make a high-risk play, but the, the, res, the, the next play, it better be in the net or it, might, it has to be a great chance. I think sometimes we're making high-risk play, but we still have to go through another layer. You know, that's kind of where we have to kind of meet in the middle on. Andre Kuzmenko was benched in the second period. I attribute that. Basically, what Talkett just broke down, I largely attribute that to Kuzmenko. Like, I think he's talking about Kuzmenko there. I think... At times this season, and definitely in that Seattle game, um, he's gotten a little bit ahead of himself in terms of, I'm going to try to make a move here. But as Tockett just said, okay, well, what's the result of you making that move? Are you faced with another defender? Because I thought there was at least two instances in that game where that was the case for Kuzmenko. Instead of sending it in, makes a move along the boards, and then all of a sudden there's a defenseman right on him once again. So I think I take that as a bit of, not, not necessarily a shot, but I think Kuzmenko is at least one of the players that Talkett is speaking about when he says a quote like that. And post game, he said, Kuzi's got to pick it up. That was his quote when he was asked by Patrick Johnson um, if that was a benching for Kuzmenko in the second period. Yeah, him and Patterson need to be better five yep. on five. Absolutely. I think it's pretty simple. Uh, okay. Can we get the lines here, Grady? Uh, the lines for tonight. Harmon, your boy, Noah Juleson. <laughs> Noah Don't Juleson. ever call him that boy. <laughs> Never again, Quad. It looks like... Did I get the wrong lines? Oh, no. Those are the right lines. Okay. Wait. Oh, no. This came from... Excuse me. That threw me off big time. Uh, Akito Hirose is taken out. Mark Friedman slots back in, which means Noah Juleson also stays in the lineup. Uh, they're going back to it. They're going back to the four right-handed defensemen. Didn't love Akito Hirose's game against Seattle but I also didn't love Noah Juleson's. And this was how I described it in an instant reaction was it feels like there's no right formula to construct the defense. It feels like there's a formula that's going to bubble up and make less of a mess, but only slightly like you might need seven paper towels to clean it up instead of eight. Do, do, do you understand yeah. my analogy? I started somewhere and then I ended up in a science lab and then with paper towels. I don't know. Um, I'm just saying, I don't think there's a right combination for the Canucks with their blue line right now. Although I think to get it down to six paper towels, call up Christian Willanen. Like I, I think Christian Willanen's a guy who needs to get a look here. If you don't like Hirose, which clearly they don't. And I, like, I'm not, I'm not here to say, oh, they got to give Hirose more ice time. You don't like Noah Juleson, which God, I hope they don't. You need to try something else. Like, get Christian Willanen up here. I don't know. This is what I think. Yeah. I just can't with Noah Juleson anymore. I'm at the point. You just look at the results, right? Forget what we see on the ice. The results are flat out disastrous. Canucks have been outshot 49 to 29. 
with Juleson on the ice. High danger chances are 18 to 8 in the opposition's favor, and the Canucks have been outscored 4 nothing. It's not good, Harmon. It's not good. Okay, anything else on the game tonight before we get to anyone else? Nope. Sweet. Then let's get to it. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION and the numbers 25. NATION25 when you download the DoorDash app and enter that code for 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Offer valid in Canada. Subjects change. Terms do apply. Marcus Toe wants Matt Irwin up in the NHL. Can't be worse than Juleson. I mean, he, could, he might be. Irwin's interesting because he played a lot of games last year. I actually want to fact check how many. Take your time. I will um, talk about my conversation with Matt Irwin. I really like him. Former Nanaimo Clipper. He was a big favor, and I we were big Matty Irwin guys as when he came in when he signed. We were we I think we had a special show just for Matt Irwin because we were excited that the Nanaimo boy uh, was coming home. Yeah, so sixty one games last year, but I don't think he played particularly well for the Capitals. And in training camp, he just looked a step behind. I don't trust his skating. Sure, I honestly don't know if he's an upgrade on Juleson. Question from Sam Ross. I'll throw this one to you, Harmon. With the lack of de- defensive depth, who would be a good target on defense? Good trade target. I'm going to say Ethan Bear. I'm going to cheat the question and yeah. say Ethan Bear. I think you go after a guy who you know can play in your system, who you know can play with Quinn Hughes. That's going to alleviate Philip Peronic. Um, you know, like, again, Myers has been fine. But think of what the pairing looks like if it's Ian Cole and Philip Peronick rather than Ian Cole and Mark Friedman or Noah Juleson or Tyler Myers, right? Yeah. If you have Quinn Hughes with Ethan Bear, you're able to split up that top four. I think you get improvement from Quinn Hughes. I think you get improvement from Philip Peronick. I think Ethan Bear's a win-win target for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, absolutely. The problem with trying to upgrade the defense right now is that I just don't see many realistic targets out there. And I'll, I'm sure maybe if these problems persist later in the week, we'll do an actual deep dive live on the show. Sure. But first of all, there are, there aren't many teams that are bad enough and have gotten off to an off enough start to where they know they're already going to be sellers right now. And second, you also have to weigh that line between besides Cal besides sort of Calgary, how many, how many teams are actually shopping defensemen right now? I just, absolutely. I, I don't think that there are many teams in that situation. Again, Columbus might be one of them, but I don't like Andrew peak. For example, I don't like the contract he's on. He's got term and I think he makes 2.7. Yeah. 2.75 yeah. uh, until 2026. That's a contract that, is risky to sort of roll the dice on. So yeah, maybe close to the deadline, there might be more realistic targets, but for the interim, you might just have to find internal answers. Okay. We got a lot here. You want to open the studio chat just quickly on, on bear guys. They say the best things in life are free and Ethan bear won't cost you an asset. And I think that's got to be considered here. Um, Probably would take, you know, he's not going to be asking for the, the, you know, a big 
offer, but you probably can get them at a decent rate and it will be a pro rated as well. The only thing is like, is there a team out there that might offer him more than a year? Cause it'll essentially be like in a year and a half contract. And that's where I think, you know, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have to really decide, do we want to give this guy term when he's coming back after a pretty serious shoulder injury? You know, maybe you get him a little cheaper that way, but it's something they got to think about going forward. He's practicing in Canucks gear. Yeah. Do with that what you will. Okay. We got some, tweet. Exactly. We got some other ones here. Uh, courtesy of Grady actually put them in our chat, which is very nice. Uh, Joe Protetto. I said that wrong. Uh, you believe that PD needs a player on his wing that will do the heavy lifting so he doesn't have to do it. Do you believe that PD needs a different winger? Not necessarily. I think McKay still getting his feet under him. Yeah. Yes, he's overall Mikheyev's played as well as you could honestly yep. hope. Honestly, it's Kuzmenko that that I need to see more from offensively. You and the head coach. It, there, I know he's picked up his points, but we haven't seen enough sparks where last year he looked a lot more dynamic in terms of when he got the puck, he was able to sort of create space with his edge work. He looked very elusive around the net. This time you'll only see one or two glimpses of it per game. And even when you do see him separate from a defender, he's not in a position where once he makes that maneuver, he's able to generate a scoring chance through either a shot or a pass. It's just, oh, he made a nice nifty move and the Canucks still have possession, maybe a pass back to the point time type thing. I think those are the plays that Talkett is speaking about in that clip we heard where Faber asked him the question and he said, don't make a high risk play or a nifty play like that. Don't do that if it's not going to end up in the back of the net. And that's kind of what you're saying is he makes the move and then it's a pass back to the point or it's, well, we still have possession, but can't really do much with it. I honestly don't even have a huge problem with Kuzmenko's defensive play this season overall. I mean, lately it's maybe been a little shaky, but I think back to, for example, the Ottawa game, Uh, Pedersen line gets two goals. Both of them started with Kuzmenko winning a battle. Hmm. There have been even moments earlier in the year when the Canucks were really successful where he was hustling really hard on a back check to break a play up. So yes, he needs to get back to that. I don't think it's I'm watching him play and I'm going, Oh, he's such a defensive liability and I can't trust him at all. For me, it's just, I need more offensively because that's, that's your role. You're not, yes, you need to be reliable defensively, but you're never going to add positive value in that department for you. It's you got to create. And especially when Pedersen is struggling, perhaps banged up, they need more of a lift from him. Yeah, but when you're, and, and I know you're absolutely right, but I think what Talkett's speaking about is when you're gaining the red, don't try to make a move in the neutral zone to gain the zone. Because like you just said, once you get there, it's a pass back to the point. Like you made a nifty little move. It's not even so much defensively. It's more, you have the puck on your stick. Okay, what are you doing next with it? I think that's an area where I've needed to see improvement from Kuzmenko is getting, just get the puck in deep. It hasn't been happening lately. Well, even when they do get it in deep, it just feels like they aren't recovering enough pucks on the forecheck. You're right. And that's that's a problem with that's that line. Problem. And I think that's that's a that's a result of Mikheyev not being where I think he's going to be in terms of speed. Like he doesn't have that mm-hmm. pull away speed yet. And even with the torn ACL, he seemed to have he seemed to be faster last year than he is this year. I'd be curious but, to see the top speeds and all that sort of stuff. But I also think we know Pedersen isn't, you know, isn't playing at his best right now i think it's a combination of all that because then to contrast you look at the miller line and once they get the puck in how good brock besser is on the wall how good phil giuseppe is how good miller everybody on that line how good they are at getting the puck back that's something the patterson line needs to get better at 
they just look slow overall in terms of how they're making plays, whether it's when they have the puck with control and they're trying to set up dangerous offensive plays or whether it's we've gained the red line, somebody's dumped it in and we now need to chase it down. Just feels like you need more quickness and decisiveness from that line. And I think too, with adding McKay of that to that line, he's at his best when he's playing a simple North South game, yep. chasing in pucks, kind of working the wall. We saw Kuzmenko a lot last year, how good he was at spinning off down low and kind of around the net in the crease area. We just haven't seen a lot of that dynamicism this year. And, you know, maybe that's just their games are a little too contrasting in terms of Mikheyev and, and Kuzmenko down low. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like something with Kuzmenko's game when he gets pressure in the ozone, it's just, it's not where it was last year. And I'm just wondering if, you know, maybe that dynamic between all three just isn't quite where it needs to be. It's an interesting question. And it's one we will, I'm sure, continue to dive into throughout the week and throughout the remainder of November. Okay, we'll close it out on this one because this is more of a philosophical question that I really like here. Corey Anderson, do you guys think the NHL should be forced to be more transparent with injuries? Suter has been day-to-day with no update, and so was Bluger, who missed a month. And I think absolutely, the answer is yes. Yes. Also, just a side note, because we've talked a lot about depth D, do we know Breezebaugh's timeline? Nope. I saw him. At the rink, Thanks like I saw him in a suit. He didn't have a <laughs> didn't have a cast. wasn't limping or anything. He seemed fine. I'm not trying to say he was faking the injury. Just <laughs> no, to be sorry. clear, <laughs> he was walking. That's the update I have. Is I saw Guillaume Brisebois. He was wearing a nice suit. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was wearing a nice suit. I think it was. I think it was like a light blue. I'm not sure. Anyways, there's there's my Brisebois update. Is that is that what you were looking for, Harmon? No comment. <laughs> okay, but but back to the actual question. Yes, I think if you're going to promote betting and you want people to bet on your sport, you need to be more transparent with injuries. You need to be transparent with starting goaltenders, for example. Like, you have to be because, first of all, this isn't even getting into the conversation around betting and referees, right? Like, all that sort of stuff. But if you're going to want people to bet on your sport, you got to be a little more transparent. And I think it doesn't matter so much when it's, Pia Suter and Teddy Bluger, sure. But, like, what if, knock on wood, that's Elias Pedersen that you're not getting any updates on? Like, betting aside, you're a fantasy sports owner and you're, you have no clue when Elias Pedersen's coming back. Like, you know, I'm playing fantasy football this year. I know wide receivers and quarterbacks, two positions. Um, you get updates well in advance of the games. You have time to set your lineup. There's no there's no game time decisions in the NFL. That that's not a thing. It's sometimes even a night before too. Like Adam Schefter will be tweeting Saturday night. Totally, what he's hearing about for yeah. the games on Sunday. Is that Elliot Friedman? But football? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Number one in. <laughs> Come Saturday. on. Even I know who Adam. I, did, I don't know who that is. <laughs> but but, uh, but to Woj. your point, I know Woj. Oh, basketball. He's basketball. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go on, Grady. And Sorry. Shams. You know Shams? <laughs> no. Oh. You don't know Shams? Come on. No. Who's Shams? Google him. Shams? Google it. You don't have okay. to do it live. Brady, to, to, you, your uh, point, yeah. to your point, Quads, like sometimes we find out, you know, 15, 20 minutes before puck drop, like which goalie is leading his team out onto the ice. Or, you know, you see something in warm up, like, oh, so and so isn't out there. And then you find like the roster game sheet comes out, what? like a couple minutes before puck drop. And then you see, oh, so-and-so is scratched. Like there, you're right. There is really not a lot of transparency, at least coming from the team. 
and we're often left, you know, minutes before the game. And I play fantasy hockey and football. Sometimes you got to make like a check your lineups like a couple of minutes before puck drop because this certain player is out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually surprising to me how quickly they announced Susie being out six to eight weeks after he was announced week to week. Yep. That's more in line what with what you'd like to, to see. see. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Shams, I-, I learned who that is. Got a lot of pillows He's... popping up as well. <laughs> that is not related. <laughs> Shams is Charmin. He's at the is that what you're going yeah. for? Yeah. No, 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 no. Pillows. Like not. What are you talking about, Charmin? That's toilet paper, Grady. Oh, yeah, I'm all over the place now. Shams is uh, Woj's biggest rival. They used to yeah. work together. Oh, really? And so now it, in the NBA, it's like there's a legit rivalry of who breaks news. That's funny. People pick sides. Do you have a rival? I don't have a rival. I'm friends with everyone. Dom Luchizen. No, Luchizen. I'm friends with him. I would say my rival is now Chris Faber. Oh. I'm just joking. Um <laughs> Although he sucks at Rocket League. I just got to get that out. I never said this to his face on the show. Sometimes, man. Actually, I've been bad lately, too. Anyways, we haven't been playing well at Rocket League every night that we play together. Anyways, um, okay. Uh, Betway, to close this out here. And it is on the Canucks game. And we are keeping it simple. Folks, pull it up here, Grady. Uh, Our Betway bet of the day. Quinn Hughes to register over two and a half shots. Three or more shots for Quinn Hughes. A $10 bet. Returns you $16.15 over at Betway. Must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Okay. Anything else for you? Nope. I love when you say that. That's great. Uh, Grady, I'll give you a chance to. Do you have anything you want to chime in on? Score predictions for tonight. Let's hear it. Uh, 6-2 Vancouver. 6-2 Vancouver? I don't make score predictions for you. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Learn to use your gut. Come on. Nope. Oh my gosh. If I have a gut feeling, I'll say it. Like I did with JT. That's fair. That's fair. That's and I fair. was right. That's fair. But I don't get that spidey sense. We gotta we gotta work on that. Yeah. We gotta work on your just gut. back to that uh Betway bet of the day. Hughes hasn't cleared over two and a half in two games. He's had one shot, one shot in back to back games. So tonight could be night, the night against the San Jose Sharks. I would think so. That's kind of what I thought with the with the bet, but we'll close it out there. Uh, the Canucks are going to win 5-2 two, two tonight. 5-2. Five, 5-2 two. Five, two Vancouver is your final score. Maybe an empty netter. I don't know. I can't see that far into the future, but I do know it's 5-2. Five, 5-2 two. Five, two tonight is the uh, score for Vancouver. Okay, we'll close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and my technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is David Gugelli. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.